Ludus Novus, Episode 19, for March 19, 2010. False Narrativism. Awesome Zone. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Ludus Novus, the podcast about interactive art. I'm Gregory Weir, and it has been a while since the last episode, as usual. Uh, I was at the Game Developers Conference last week, and I met a lot of cool people, and something that I heard several times was that people really like my podcasts, so I figured I should do an episode. And appropriately enough, the topic for this episode is something that I saw at GDC. Um, It's not one of the games that's being released or some brand new technology. It's a very old game and one that was never released. The story starts with Ananthropy's new game, Redder, which she released during GDC. Um, I didn't have a computer there, so I didn't have a chance to play it, but I was looking through the comments and reviews and so on on my iPhone as it was coming out, and um, I was just kind of sitting at a table for food, uh, at the expo, where all the big companies show off their stuff, and uh, this guy sat down at the same table as me, um, and I must have been laughing or or making some sort of credulous sound at what I was reading, because uh, he introduced himself. Name was Ted. I didn't get a business card or anything from him, and uh, he asked me what I was looking at. And I told him about Redder and a little bit about what I gleaned about how it somehow broke down and and the 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 game itself changes during play in ways that it's not always clear um, what's going on. And he uh, said that he knew of a game that was sort of similar, except that instead of the game itself being what was breaking down, it was the developer. This is a game called Awesome Zone. It was never released. It was in development for the Nintendo in 1990... Midnight, or middle of 1990, um, there was a company startup called NoSoft that was trying to get in on the, the video game boom, which at that time was in full swing. Um, and uh, it was one of the last games put out for the Nintendo. It was an unauthorized game. Um, and they thought that they were going to make a lot of money. So they decided to make a platformer. They licensed the uh, the engine that was used in MC Kids, the uh, McDonald's advert adver game that they set up, and they hired a programmer, which is one programmer to be on it, because they already had the engines, and they didn't need too much work, and this guy's name was Theodore Albee. He, uh, so the, this guy that was showing me the game, he pulled it up 
on his laptop on an emulator. Um, I don't know how he ended up getting the pre-release version of it. But he, he pulled it up and showed it to me. And it looks it pretty much, at first glance, like your uh, totally generic, normal platformer. Um, you open it up, the main character is sort of a humanoid kid. Um, this was before Sonic, so the the attitude of mascots wasn't too strong in games yet. And it's your fairly standard video game plot. Kid's girlfriend is kidnapped by some evil dark thing in a cloak, and you have to go and, and stop it. And it's it's an interesting engine, interesting game. The gameplay is fun. It, it I played a little bit of it. It felt pretty... Uh, pretty smooth and, and, and secure and everything. There was some interesting kind of Mario 2, Wario Land style k- killing enemies and then using their bodies to, to attack other enemies. Um, there's some fun stuff that I guess is, is inherited from MC Kids where you can sometimes get or hit little items that make you go walk on the underside of platforms, which is pretty, pretty new and different. Um, it also has a, a battery-backed save file, which I think is pretty unusual in Nintendo games, um, at least for the for the original NES. And the the first world, there's it's divided into worlds called zones, and each one has a theme, and there's an overworld map, and so on, just kind of like in Mario Three. First world is pretty normal. There's grassy stuff like in any first world of a platformer ever. Um, you're killing enemies and so on. Seems totally normal. Um, it's the second world which starts getting a little weird. And uh, Ted showed me um, he had beaten the whole game on his... Well, as you'll see in a second, beating the game is a little weird. But he had unlocked the whole game um, on his his save state, and so he was able to show me. The the second world, the art for the map is not quite so polished, it's kind of sloppy in places, and as you play the levels, you start to realize that the story has gotten a little off. So this each level has a little snippet of plot at the end of each one that's that, at least in the first world, was just little things like, oh, you miss your girlfriend and want to save her, and oh, you hope that the evil overlord will, won't hurt her, and stuff like that. But in World 2, it starts getting a little abusive. Like, the the text talks about how your girlfriend wasn't any good for you anyway, and how she's lying, and how maybe women aren't such a good idea for you to be seeking out right now. And uh, it, it seems, at least from, from what I saw, that the uh, the developer maybe was going through kind of a tough time relationship-wise at that point. Um, the levels are still perfectly fine, um, except that, uh, you know, there's these, these weird storylines, and some of the graphics are a little less uh, less polished, um, as if they were kind of rushed through and, and if the developer was stressed. Okay, so at this point, uh, Ted explained that the developer, this Albi guy, had... Uh, been, he'd been working alone, 
And so the story goes, he hadn't really had any contact with people at work. Um, he didn't have a technical manager or anything like that. There was just this these business people that had hired him and expected him to do his job. And so the developer was sort of didn't have anything to ground him and evidently had, had lost his his significant other um, to what was what seemed to be a nasty breakup. The third level, the third world, gets a little bit odder. A new enemy is introduced which looks kind of like a, a caricature of a woman, very busty and uh, stylized in, in appearance, and whereas the death animations previously for things like little cuddly round things had been um, pretty cute and abstract and there had been little stars over their heads, this the death animations for this character are, let's just say, they're they're a bit more realistic and uh, a little bit disturbing. Um, nothing, you know, totally outre or, or 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 sick. Just it's very clear that this these female enemies are dying or at least being very badly hurt. Um, and so it makes using them to destroy other enemies a little more disturbing than it otherwise would because you have these realistic humanoid characters that you're tossing around at other realistic humanoid characters. So that's that's world three. I've I've got a note a list here that I'm that I'm looking at, um, that I took notes as I as I played. I haven't been able to find a ROM of this anywhere else. I'm not sure where the guy I was talking to got this copy. But okay, so so world three has the the female enemies and the the end level text at this point is just invective against someone named Alice who I presume is the significant other of the developer so that's world 3 world 4 is kind of surreal the previous worlds had had architecture that was pretty much based in reality the, everything was supported, or else it was the the standard platformer floating in midair. But World Four sort of feels like like the architecture is not quite right. Stuff is suspended in a way that doesn't really make sense from a level flow standpoint. Um, there's one level that's just a series of very small jumps that are just just wide enough that you can't run over them or or get a nice rhythm, but too narrow to actually be much of a challenge, so it's just kind of a, a busy work jumping from place to place. I'm making gestures here that that you're not able to see. It's it's very strange. Just everything sort of feels wrong. If you've played a, a massacre platformer like I Want to Be the Guy or something like that, um, think of some of the harder and weirder screens of that sort of thing where it's very clearly not following the standard platformer logic and that's that's what you'd get from world four and the end level text is pretty much openly abusive of the player um, it kind of seems like Albi, the developer had kind of transferred his rage at his own personal issues onto the player of the game even though the player didn't exist yet so it's got this startlingly adversarial relationship between the developer and the player that's I guess a little reminiscent of how some GMs for Dungeons and Dragons will actively try and kill and trick their players but it's it's not I mean of course Massacre didn't exist back then there were just games that were hard but this is 
not it, it's not that it's trying to be really hard but fair it's that it's openly being openly screwing with the player so that was world 4 world 5 at this point the overmap graphics are just it's just black with the uh with the standard like track and, and level symbol graphics just on top of a completely black background um and uh Ted only showed me the first level of World 5 um it was just it was just a pit um well no no he showed me the second one too which was a pit at the beginning and then a wall to the right that made it clear that you couldn't progress onward and uh for these levels you just have to use cheats, uh, the game genie codes and so on to, to get past these levels um, because they, they just they can't be beaten. There's no hidden blocks. It's not like some of those weird Mario levels that you see people swearing over on YouTube. No, it's just there's just a pit. Um, and evidently the uh, he didn't show me, he didn't play through the levels because he didn't have the, the cheat codes easily ready. But he said that the, the end level text for those is just just profane. Um, World 6 is next, and it looks like a jumble of just random graphics. And evidently, in World 6, he just pointed the um, memory address for the level code to a position in memory that didn't hold level data. So each of the levels is just this completely chaotic mash of, of nonsense, like... Uh, like level negative one in in Mario Brothers or or the Zero World in in Metroid, it's just it's just completely unplayable and random. And then World Seven is sort of a an exploration of minimalism in game design, if if you want to call it that. It's the the first level is just a completely flat plane. And then the second level is a completely flat plane with a single power-up block in the middle of it. And then the third level is a flat plane with a single enemy in the middle of the level. Um, and each of the end-level texts reads in all lowercase, that was level 1 or that was level 2. In World 8, you see that the developer has decided to spend some time making levels again. These are probably the most intricate levels, although they're not really designed to be playable. They they Each of them apparently can be beaten, but it's more like he's just making designs with the with the level blocks. Um, you know, pictures, he writes his name, Theodore Alby, across the screen. Um, more women, more busty women, and women dying. Um, I think that this guy probably had some, some issues that stemmed a little deeper than his issues with this one relationship because some of these were pretty disturbing levels, I'll, I'll just say. This, this area also introduces some power-ups that aren't seen earlier that just play random music and make the screen flash. And it was at this time when I, I sort of turned to Ted, um, the guy who was showing this to me, and said, well, I don't know, could this guy have just been 
screwing around, just been wasting time and having fun on, on the dime of this company that obviously didn't know what they were doing and just trying to cash in on a trend. But Ted kind of looked at me and I said, yeah, yeah, you can tell that the stuff that's in here is either the product of a, of a genius artist, you know, H.R. Geiger stuff, or this guy was seriously disturbed because it's just, it's, it's too visceral and creative to be anything other than artistic genius or total madness. The next world is totally normal. There's uh, a very nice jungle setting. Uh, the levels are actually very cleverly designed, nice secret areas in them, nice jumping around, but they're um, completely empty. There are no enemies, nothing to kill, nothing to jump on, no women to disfigure um, for ten levels in this world. You never run into a single enemy, and where previously there'd been the, the standard big and bosses that actually they're all the same from from world to world that you just have to defeat the same guy over and over again and then he warps out the, the guy in the cloak um, in this one you go into the boss room and there's nothing there and you proceed onward and all of the end level texts are completely blank there's there's nothing nothing in them although apparently if you open it up there are varying lo number of spaces and carriage returns in the the source files but there's no no meaningful text, and there's not enough. It's not like it's a code or anything. There's, you know, it'd be like four spaces, three character turns, five spaces. It's not. There's no Morse code hidden in it or anything like that. And that brings us to the final world, World Ten, which is sort of a recap of the earlier world. It's it's the the game in, in pocket form. So you get one normal level, then. A slightly weird level and then as it progresses along you get the completely random level that because he pointed it at non-level data and the blank level and the level with designs and then the uh, the final level is pretty much uh, the level graphics are very bloody and disturbing and they're pictures of the uh, of some office, presumably the, the NoSoft development offices where this guy worked by himself making this creepy-ass game. Uh, according to, to the guy that was showing it to us, uh, it, it was at this point he'd gotten the entire game at a rough draft state. It's still a little buggy. There are still some issues in the levels that you know aren't completely crazy. Um, and he presented it to the executives of the company, the, the, the people who'd been paying him, and um, they had quite justifiably said, what, what the hell, what's, what's this, this is nothing. And at that point, he flipped and started hitting the owner, the, the, the primary partner of the company, and uh, apparently didn't kill him. But he ended up institutionalized for five years. Uh, the game was never released. They they never finished it. They really couldn't salvage anything. But but the the first world and I guess they could add enemies to the one that was just completely blank, enemyless space. Um, but you know they didn't have a plan at this point. The Super Nintendo would be picking up. Sonic the Hedgehog came out shortly thereafter, and so this guy. Sky's game never got released, and I guess Ted was able to dig it up. But um, let's see. Eventually, the developer um, 
his name, uh, Theodore Albi, um, got released from the hospital. He was cured. Uh, he had some issues. He remained on medication, but according to the story, he just kind of ended up making low-end uh, advert games and kind of shovelware um, for the rest of the, I mean, up to the present, he might still be working. I don't know. But this game sort of sits there as this this piece of, uh, I don't know how to describe it, it's it's this artifact of a person's life that's really bizarre. I really need to figure out if, if I, I know that I gave my business card to this guy, so Ted, if you're, if you're listening to this, send me a ROM, I really want to play it again, and maybe post up some screenshots from it, but uh, if any of you get a chance to play Awesome Zone, or you see a ROM of Awesome Zone around, you should check it out, because this thing is crazy, and it's it shows a side of video games that it's easy to forget, which is that all these games, whether it's video games, interactive fiction, uh, tabletop role-playing games, any sort of game involves people that constructed it. It's the result of a person's life. And sometimes people's lives are kind of unpleasant, and people go through some really rough times. And in this case, it's kind of like is if this guy kept a tape recorder or a video running while he had a, a six-week nervous breakdown. And this this game is the result of it. And, I mean, it's 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 really amazing. And I hope that I'm able to, to track down a copy that I can play again. Because just being shown through it in over the course of an hour and a half in a crowded GDC expo hall just isn't isn't the best venue for that. Yeah, I just wanted to share that experience. I thought it was interesting. It's it's sort of provocative. Um, if any of you know of any other games that sort of represent this, that are a, not a not an authored piece of art by a by a creator, but sort of a, a documentary example of of someone's struggle, um, please let me know. I, I'd love to play more of this sort of thing. Um, and if you've got any comments on the game or or on on things that you think are similar, I'll let me know. Ludus Novus is created under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial Sharealike 3.0 license, which means you can do what you want with it, except that uh, anything you do has to have the same kind of license on it, it can't be commercial, and you have to say that it was done by Gregory Weir. That music was Three Goes On Forever by Time Slips By, and it's released under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives license. Talk to you later.